We ended, if you remember, in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to draw your attention to just and read a few verses and we'll go right into our new verses this week. I'm going to draw your attention to chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. If you're looking anywhere else than unto Jesus, you're going to be swayed off to the left or to the right. Keep your eyes on your Savior as a child of God. He is the answer. He is the answer. He continues to be the answer. Continue to talk to Him. Continue to seek after Him. How do you seek after Him? By reading the Word of God. If you're going anywhere else to get your information, you're wrong. The writer says, and it says to, and the Spirit says to us today, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If you, that is not the central of your faith, my brothers and sisters, you've been deceived, you've been bewitched. If you think it's the church building or the church organization or the good people to left or to right who consider themselves a Christian, it, it is all about a Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. You must know him. You must continue to seek after him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If, if you're thinking some organization or some company is going to save you, you have, are been bewitched. If you think your own health and your own abilities is going to help you, you've been bewitched. You've been fooled. You're, you're playing a foolish game. Only Jesus can save the soul and the spirit of a man or a woman. It's about eternity, is it not? This life of ours is very short. Very, very short. So looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross for who? For you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves his heavenly Father and he came willingly for you. Despising the shame. He didn't like it. He didn't like having to go and to be separated from his father when the wrath of when the father put the wrath of the sin, our sin upon his son. And has sat down at the right hand of the fa- uh, at the right hand of the throne of God. He's in control. And he's interceding for you and I. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed, uh, striving against sin. And this is where we continue and we pick right back up here. And you... Let me just take one more look here. For consider him who endured his hostility from sinners. You know, you can, you can get um, challenged as a believer from other sinners. Especially those who are not saved. And they can come against you. They may not meet your expectations. They may uh, literally attack you physically. Just like, like they did their Savior. And so that doesn't surprise us as believers as we see this world growing darker and darker and darker that we're expecting persecution because the, the scripture tells us so. 
And the more you draw closer to Jesus, the more you seek after him, the more you desire to serve him and to live a life that's pleasing to him, be on guard. People, even the closest to you, will be one of the ones that, if they're not following Jesus, will grow harder and harder towards you. This world will grow harder and harder towards you. And these are people who are family. These are people who are loved ones. It could be even your spouse or your children. It could be your mother, your father. If they're not following Jesus, they will draw colder and darker and harder toward you as you grow in your love for Jesus. And that's why the writer says, take these things in consideration because these things are going to happen. Consider what Jesus went through for you. Now as you live this life for me and consider and keep your eyes on me, understand that you're going to endure these kinds of same things in your own life. And the hardest part is when it happens to you of those who are in your inner circle, the ones closest to you. That's what it's most painful. It is. It is the most painful. Even within the church body, it should not be. It should be such a love and unity. But those who really are just Christians as a veneer, they're not really saved. They're not walking with Jesus. It can be really harmful and hurtful when they come against you as you follow and just want to love and serve Jesus. But let this be an encouragement to you. Your Savior knows what you're going through. That's what we hold on to. Because as we see in verses 3 and 4, even, even in their difficulty, if they consider Jesus and what he endured for them, they, we can be encouraged and not discouraged. Knowing that they are following the same footsteps as the Lord and Savior. So what was it that enabled our Lord to endure the cross? The same for you and I. Keep in mind that Jesus did not use his divine powers to be able to live a life that is sinless in this world. He used the same spirit, ours, the spirit that lives within us, to live that same life. Our Lord did not use his divine powers in his personal needs. Satan even tried to tempt him to, to use those divine powers. If you remember in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4, and Jesus refused to use those divine powers. And it was our Lord's faith that enabled him to endure. And it is our faith in Jesus that will endure, give us the power to endure the things that will come against us. He kept the eye on the faith on the joy that was set before him. He knew what was set before him by his father. And we must understand, as we see him in his word and yield to his spirit, he increases our faith and enables us to run the race that has set before us day by day. Trusting Jesus releases his power in our lives to live a life that's pleasing to him. So get over the idea and the thoughts and, and the false teaching that's out there that says you'll never get over anything. You'll never give it up. That addiction is yours forever. That's false. 
This is the way life is. Oh, you can't, I hear all kinds of stuff. But I also hear the pendulum swing the other direction and says, you've got the power. And if you just do it yourself and you do it this way and self-help and self-thinking and, and positive thinking and all these junk that's out there in the churches today, let me assure you, you've been bewitched. But apart from Christ, you can do nothing. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Now as the writer changes the subject here, and deals with the subject now of divine chastening. That is, God's correcting ways with his children. Our father is a loving father, period, regardless of how you feel. He's a loving father, and he loves us so much that he's willing to correct us when we do wrong. That's important. You have to understand that as a foundation. Because the enemy will want to t- try to convince you that you're, the Heavenly Father is just like your earthly father who was out of control and angry and, and had no, was so imperfect. But our, our Heavenly Father is perfect. He doesn't come to punish us. He comes to correct us, to chasten us, to get us back on track, to do, walk according to his ways and not according to the flesh of this world. And I'm going to say this a few times because so many people today think we have an angry God who you just wish they would just punish those who come against you and and not punish you, though, (laughs) when you're wrong. Don't touch me, Lord. Don't don't, don't do anything with me, Father, but go get them. That's not godly thinking. You don't know who your heavenly Father is with that kind of thinking. And the writer addresses it today. Because I think that in dealing with our children as earthly fathers and mothers, we, mu- we make this mis- mistake that we look to punish them. No, we need to look in a mindset of how can we lovingly correct them. Correct our children because they're off track. They're not thinking rightly. They're not thinking biblically. They're not thinking godly. And we're constantly bringing them back. Come on, Johnny, come back over here. Susie, come back over here. You're, you're, you got off track. You're, you're not being obedient. Not to punish, but to correct. To chastening. See, God allows difficult times in our lives as children of God for the chastening of God or the divine chastening. Why? Well, the first reason, it reveals the assurance of the love of God for us. Why is it good that our Heavenly Father corrects us? Because He shows that He loves us. To encourage us in our walk. Look at here in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked or reprimanded by Him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. What does scourging mean? Get the spoon out. (laughs) You get the little switch out on the little behind. Every son whom he receives. So the writer says right up front here, says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Why? 
Because it's proof that God loves you. It, pr- it proves for you that you're a son of God. This is very, very important for you under- to understand this as a, as a Christian. Many people don't want any correction from God. Just let me live my life however, even if it goes against the word of God. Just don't, I don't want to get, you know, change. Well, then you need to listen to this. Because that is a very bad position to place, put your be, to be in. Because he says right up front, the writer says, you have forgotten. How many times as a child, you've told your child, don't do that, don't do that, do this, do this, and they keep forgetting. And that's your 20-year-old. <laughs> that's your 30-year-old. That's your 40-year-old. I know some... Oh, never when you're, once you get to your 70s and 80s, you always remember everything. (laughs) Oh, that was a little fun one. We'll get you that one. (laughs) See, you have forgotten. One great reason for the discouragement among these Jewish Christians, these believers that were walking and trying to stay and walk with Jesus. No, they're being pulled back into Judaism, back into legalism, back into traditions. These things that were frustrating was because they forgot. They forgot the reason why God would allow difficult times in their lives. It was to correct them. To get them back on track and not to go back to the old life. But we have forgotten these principles as a Christian. We forgot the fact that God lovingly corrects or chastens according to his way to get you to come back on track to keep your eyes on Jesus. In times of trials, in times of stress, many Christians forget some of the very most basic things. They forget the fact that God is in control. All you can get is fixated on, oh, my life is going crazy. This is, oh, no, it's not how I have it planned. But God is still in control. you got to remember these basics. Not only is he in control, you have to understand that he loves you. That he is a good father, a good, good father is not going to allow things in your life that is not good for your life. You have to have that solid foundation or you'll go squirrely on me. Do you really believe that he's a good, good father? Oh, it's so easy to sing that. Watch the next trial and stress that comes toward you. Then I'll know if you really believe what you just sang, that he's a good, good father. Hello? And of course, God can never be the author of evil. You must remember that. He is not the author of evil. Yes, he does allow others to choose evil because he's given us free choice. And that's hard for you to get around, but you must have that foundation set so you understand that God didn't create the evil. He's allowed you to have free choice. And anytime you go against God's word, it is evil. Oh, that hurt someone, didn't it? 
Because sometimes we think the things that we do that goes against the word of God, and you know you're going against the word of God, you don't see it as evil. You just say, it's just that's how the world does it. That's how my friends do it. That's how I just do it. That's how it's always been. It's, it's, it's part of my heritage. Oh, you have all kinds of justifications for why you allow yourself to continue to live in sin and do evil things. He can use those evil choices of others to, make, to work out his, his purpose, his ultimate good purpose. And he does. And only God can do that. He demonstrates his justice and his righteousness in contrast to the evil ways that people think and do. And he uses that in a wonderful way. Now we see here in the verse that we just read that this quotation that comes from is from Proverbs 3 verses 11 through 12. And it reminds us of God's chasing should never be taken as a sign of his rejection to his children. It's not a rejection, it's rather it's a sign of his treating us as his children. Only the most proud Christian would claim that they never need correction from God. But I assure you, none of us is above the need for correction from our good Father. We all need correction. We are sinners saved by grace. That's why the writer says, do not despise the chastening, the correction of the Lord. When chastening comes, it's an offense to God when we despise it. I, I assure you, you don't go looking for it. <laughs> But when God sees the need to correct his son, then let, let it begin. Because it is the, his loving tool of correction, and we should receive it gratefully. Now, chastening should not be only regarded as just correction either. The only reason why God would allow any difficult times in our lives is just only to correct us. That's not true. For example, we know that God allows difficult times so that we can, at latter time, be used by God to comfort someone else with the same comfort that God showed toward us in that difficult time. So it's not, when you see, oh, they're going through a difficult time. Ooh, there must have been really bad sin in that life because God is really correcting them. You don't want to go down that path. That's not, because sometimes God allows trials and tribulation because he knows you can handle it. And it's going to deepen your faith in him because you don't have a question in your faith. You're solid, but he's going to use you as an instrument for someone else later on. Because they're going to look at your life and go, you trusted God through that? Yes. And he brought you through that? Yes. Then I'm going to trust God. So don't go down that path where you're looking, oh, trials, tribulations. Must be a lot of sin going on in that camp. Don't go do that. It's ungodly. 
This is why James recommends a prayer for wisdom in the context of enduring trials. In James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. (laughs) Some of you really like these verses. Because you're saying, oh, I need more patience. Oh, my patience is being tested. (laughs) Yes, it will be. That's how it's going to work out patience in your life. Because he'll bring the next test and the next thing or someone in your life that's going to test your patience to build that patience in your life. It's a fruit that you want to bear in your life is patience and long-suffering. But don't forget the kindness and gentleness (laughs) and love as well. But we need to pray for that. God, give me wisdom. May I have the patience for you to give me from you to endure the trial that is now coming in my my life. And at the end, you will become refined and be used in mighty ways for God's purpose. Father does not want us to be pampered babies. He doesn't want pampered Christian babies. As much as mothers, many of us mother other, others. He wants us to become mature adult sons and daughters. We have to mature, my brothers and sisters. And he wants us to mature who can be trusted with the responsibilities of life and for purpose and ministry of what God wants to do in and through our life. So don't look to be pampered as a Christian. Look to be refined and strengthened and encouraged. Be strong and of good courage. Don't be pampered and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. We have to understand if a child is left to himself, he grows up to become a selfish tyrant. How many little tyrants have we been seeing? I can see them all on TV and and as... And as presidents and prime ministers, these are baby tyrants. There's no maturity. They're acting like children. Of who's stronger than the other. Selfish tyrants. That is what we're dealing with. That's what we see of the evilness that is going on. And as, as parents, if we let our children just do what they ever what they want to do, they're going to grow up to be tyrants. Hello? You must be a loving father and you and mother. You must correct your children and line them back up with the word of God. Teach them the word of God. Verse 7, we see in verse 7 and 8, it says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? (laughs) The father chastens all sons and daughters. All of them. If you're a son and a daughter, you're going to be chastened. It's only a matter of time you're going to be corrected. 
It's not a question if, it's only when and how often. It depends on how stubborn and rebellious you are. Hello? That's really what it is. Oh, I feel like a lot of trials and tribulations. Well, examine your life. How rebellious are you? That's what you first start, right? Lord, is there any wicked way in me? Please reveal it to me because I want to confess it now. I want to surrender. I do not want to continue to go down this path. But once you have examined your life and the Lord is not showing you any rebellion, any resentment or anything going against the word of God, and you, he's, he said, no, there's nothing there. I'm just using this because I'm going to prepare you for greater things. Ask David. God, why did I have to take on a lion? That almost killed me. Almost took me out here, Lord. Why a lion? But God said, I gave you the strength to take that lion out. Are you, are you tracking with me? Because all of a sudden, David didn't know that he has to go against a big man called Goliath in the future. The lion was small play compared to Goliath. So sometimes God allows us to go through smaller trials and tribulations to prepare us to go against much larger trials and tribulations that will come against you. And that wasn't because David had sin in his life. It's that God was preparing him to do great things for God's purposes. So you have to just stop and go, Lord, is there something in my life? This trial, this tribulation, this conflict, is there something? No. Conscience is clear. Things are good. I'm, I'm walking with you, Lord. Then, Lord, you have bigger things for me to do, and I'll be rewarded in heaven. Do you have that belief? Do you understand who God is? And how he chastens his divine chastening, divine correction, divine things that he allows in your life. Because he says right here, God deals with you as sons and daughters, his children, all the same way. He's going to correct, he's going to chasten, and he's going to do things in your life that you're not going to like sometimes. Ask your children if they like that when dad says, you and I are going to your room, we got to talk. Ask me what child says, oh, great, daddy. I can't wait. <laughs> Usually it's like, Mom, save me from Dad, you know. <laughs> Give me. Kids know where they can try to emotionally move Mama, can't they? Why do you think they always run to Mommy? Never I've ever saw a child say, Mom said she's going to get the spoon. Dad, save me. Never, never, never do I ever hear a child say, Dad, save me. But I've heard more times than not, I'm going to go talk to mom because mom will keep dad from correcting me. Right? Oh, you know it. I know that hurt someone right there. Ooh. Someone just got pricked on that one. Verse 8, but if you are without chastening, ah, here's the hard one. Here's the hard verse. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Ooh, that's the hard verse right there. People can live a life of a veneer Christianity. And pretend to be a Christian. 
they might think they're a Christian. They got all kinds of reasons why they think they're a Christian. But when you sit there and they say, I never feel convicted. I don't ever feel like I've been corrected. I can sit there week after week and hear the word of God and nothing phases me. It just feels, I just want to feel love and feel good. And, and I want to have the goosebumps and I want to be a little sing, you know. But no correction conviction. That verse is for you. You need to check if you really truly are a child of God. You really need to check. Because the writer makes it very clear right here. Not everyone knows by experience what a model father is. I understand that. And I'll hear excuses. Oh, I just, I don't know. My father wasn't a good man and he didn't do this and didn't do that and he didn't know the word. I I understand that. Because I didn't have a godly father either. Or mother or grandmothers, or grandfathers. No extended family, ever. So I understand that. But that's no excuse to justify. It's just not. Because you have your Heavenly Father now to look upon. And God gives you the ability and intuition of what a good father looks like and what a bad father looks like. We've had the pleasure and the blessing to raise many spiritual sons in the faith. Many young men who come from broken homes and now are experiencing what it really means to follow a heavenly father, a godly father, godly families, godly. And it's, and it's eye-opening to them that this is how God intended versus what they lived and experienced. But we have to understand that you can't justify your emotions and your feelings and your actions and your worldliness and your sinfulness and living however you want to because you justify and blame your father, their earthly father. That has to stop today. You must know that you have a heavenly father who loves you, who sent his son to die for you to make a way of eternal life. So today's the day you have to give your life to Jesus if you haven't. You need to surrender all and say, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust Jesus. What is the gospel? Jesus died for me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Why? Because he loves you. If you believe that, that will change your life. It will change your life. And what we find here, if you are without chasing, then those words did not phase you one bit. You're sitting there going, I don't know what that big deal is. So Jesus died for me. What does that mean? Then don't, don't call yourself a Christian, please. Don't tell people that you're a Christian. 
I'm not saying you should leave. I'm saying you should surrender. Because the word is very clear. This is not, I know, this is not a seeker-friendly kind of church. I'm telling you what the scripture tells you, and it hurts sometimes. But I wouldn't be teaching you the word of God if I didn't tell you what it means. It's pretty straightforward. I don't even have to interpret anything on this. I just read it to you. The power is in the word. I just want to make sure you're really clear. Don't call yourself a Christian. If you've never been chastened or corrected and you're not molding and shaping in, in your life and desiring more for Christ. Stop pretending. That, it's as simple as that. Stop pretending. Life is short. Do you realize I really do believe the scriptures that, that Jesus is coming back for the church? I live day by day looking up, hoping today's the day. Understand if you do not, if you do evil and get by with it, then you should be very concerned. If you've been cheating, for a long period of time and you've been getting by with it or you've been living this false relationships and whole secret in life and stuff for a long time and you're getting away with it, you better be very careful if you've never been convicted and been changed by God. Don't call yourself a Christian if you are in habitual sin and there's no correction and no discipline and anything of chastening in your life. You're not a Christian, the Bible says. Because you cannot live habitual sin. You can't. But this is the... An indication you're not saved when you're not convicted. There's no chastening by God. You're in a dangerous place. If you can sin without consequences or be unchecked and no conviction, I'm telling you, please don't leave today without talking to me. But you know... The amazing thing about God is that he loves us so much that he is going to make sure we get caught as a child of God. Let me say it again, because I don't know if you heard me say it, because you should have been more groaning. If you're a child of God, and you've gone back and you start dabbling with the past life and whatever, Know that your father's going to let your sin be known. Hello? Now, some people say, how is he going to do that? Let me continue here. But when you hear those words, that as a child of God, that your sin will find you out, it will bring great anxiety in your heart right now. There would be great distress start coming into your mind right now. And if that's happening, that is a good thing. Because that, the divine chastening is happening right now. The Holy Spirit's touching your heart. 
But as we see, and you have this great anxiety and this distress in the mind of the Christian because everybody on the job and everybody at school and everyone in the business world and everyone in the neighborhood seems to be cheating and doing all kinds of evilness and they never seem to get caught. But a child of God will always get caught. Because the Father is always going to make sure of it. Because how could a good father allow your child to go play out in the streets and not correct them and take them out of the street? Hello? Let me give you a few things here. Remember, first, God's divine chastening is never punitive. Never. It is corrective. So if your mindset is, I hope you get caught because I want the most severe punishment to be brought upon you, that's ungodly. So change your thinking on that. That's ungodly. Repent of that. The second thing is, God's divine chasing is never confrontational, it's consequential. If you're a Christian, God does not confront you in a disciplinary manner for your sins that you have done or ever will do. Your sin is forgiven. You're a child of God. All your sins, past, present, future, are forgiven and and forgotten. They're never held against you by God. Your family may hold it against you. Your friends may hold it against you. The world may hold it against you. But God does not hold your past, present, or future sins against you. Because Jesus' blood covers it all. Get that settled in your mind. Well, if God has forgiven me of all my sins in the past, present, and future, then how am I going to get corrected? I'm so glad you asked. Let me give you the scriptures. Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. It will be found out. You're not going to keep it a secret as a child of God. Notice it's not God finding us out in our sin. God is not sniffing around looking for sin in your life. He knows all things. There's nothing you can hide. All the failings, all the shortcomings, all of it, God knows. He knows all things. But Scripture tells us it's not Him who's going to show the sin out. It's the sin itself is, will track us down and deal with us in every single instance. It's our sin itself that's going to correct us. How does that happen? Well, Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever a man sows, that he will also reap. You sow out sin, it's going to come back against you. You sow out good and righteous, it comes back good. It's a a law of gravity. You can't change. You may try to fight against gravity, but the gravity is going to end up winning. But the sowing and reaping uh, is also of God, and that law will not, you're not going to get around it. 
You're in sin, it's going to reap back against you. Jeremiah 2.19, your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you. That's the key verse. Jeremiah 2.19, you're going to be corrected by your own sin. Now, how does that play out, Pastor? I'm not sure I'm really getting it. Let me give you an example. After a very long, hard week, some of your really good buddies, that non-believing buddies that are at work, who always want the best for you, I'm sure, convinces you you've had a long, hard week like he did. And they did and said, why don't you come out and have a few drinks with me? So you go and you're, you're just wanting to, you know, minister and be a light to your drunken buddies. Yeah, 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 that's, what you're, that's the main reason. So you go out drinking, you have a few drinks, and on the way home you hit a wall. So when you hit the wall, there's consequences. Do you, do you understand that? Your sin of drunkenness is forgiven. It's forgotten by God. But now you're crippled the rest of your life. The sin of drunkenness is now in the consequence of a state of paral- being paralyzed. That's how your sin got found. that man's sin got found out. How about um, understand truly the work of forgiveness is finished. It's been done. It's complete. But the sin itself will be scourging. There's going to be a spoon on your butt. There's going to be a little switch taken after you. How does that play out? We'll ask in the scriptures. Dad, give me my inheritance now. I want to go live my life however I want to live. Are you sure, son? Absolutely. Give me my inheritance. I'm gone. I'm out of here. And so the prodigal son takes his money and goes into the world and he spends it all on wine and women. Where's the consequence? The money is gone just like that and he finds himself eating with the pigs in the pig pen. Go back and read Luke 15. He's run out of money. He's found that he's finding himself with the pig pen. And the father did not put him in the pig pen. The father did not call the police on his son and say, go get him. He's a drunkard. He's living it out. He's going to kill himself. Go pick him up and bring him up. No, the father did not. The father just let it play out, knowing his son's own sin would correct him. I will call young men, I will call people two or three, four, five times. Why don't you come back to church? Why don't you come back to men's fellowship? How about if we just have some tea, or tea, coffee, I'm a coffee guy. Let's go sit down and have some coffee. Let's have a breakfast, let's have a lunch. I will try to have a conversation to try to speak truth into that young man's life. But after a while, I have to just take my hands off. And I continue to pray for those men and pray that through their sin, we'll find them out and they will bring them back. And they do many times. As parents, we have to do the same thing. As hard as it is, 
You cannot enable your children to continue to live in rebellious sin in their lives. Once they get old enough, they have to feel the consequence of their sin if we have any possible way that they will finally come to their senses and surrender their life to Jesus and follow him. As hard as it is, their sin will find them. And it's going to hurt, unfortunately. So the question now is for you, some of you is, so what do we do with the scars from our sin? What do I do with the scars that are left from the consequences of my sin? The diseases that are in my life now. The loss and broken relationships in my life now. How do I deal with the scars in my life? Well, the scripture is clear. The same thing that Jesus did. After he was scarred in the process of absorbing the sin of the world in his life, he had tremendous scars in his hands and his feet and his side and around his head from the thorns. His entire body was scourged for you and I. The sin of the world was of absolute clarity on his body from the process of sin being placed upon him. But this is how you deal with the scars in your life. In John chapter 20, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. The answers to our past scars from our past sins that God said, Okay, I'll take my hands off and you're, you're, gonna, you're going to go out of control. You're going to start spinning out of control and it's going to cause a major problem. And sin never affects just you, Corey. It affects everyone around you. But when that sin hits you, and you're corrected. I'm right here with my open arms, scarred hands, waiting to embrace you back like a prodigal son's father's embracing, welcoming them back. Do you want to overcome the scars of your past sins? Look unto Jesus' scars, who paid the price for all of that sin of yours. It's been paid for, it's been forgiven. It is not held against you. That's why we're to, we've been forgiven much. We're to what? Love much. Forgive others much. We're to give, forgive them. Regardless of how you feel. That is the answer of dealing with the scars of the past of your life. You must keep, look unto Jesus. You must continue to look unto Jesus the Savior of your soul. Now, I wish I could tell you that your scars will go away, but they won't. So the question is, is how do you deal with that mentally? You must turn and say, Lord, I will, I will personally, I will intentionally, I give 
these scars of my past over to you this day. I'll give them to you for your use and for your purposes. And God says, perfect. I'm going to take these scars and turn them into good for those who love me and are living according to what? His will. That is how the scars are going to be turning to something good and right. Verse 9, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who correct, corrected us, and we paid them respect. We respected our fathers, even though they corrected us and, and gave us the spoon once in a while to get us back because we were so stubborn. But we respect them. Shall we not have much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and, and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, God, for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. We should be even more submissive and respectful to our heavenly father than our earthly fathers. When our earthly fathers correct us, they did it imperfectly. Because we're not perfect men. We did it, well, the scripture says what seemed best to us how to correct you, we did that. But how much more to respect and be submissive to our Heavenly Father who knows how to perfectly correct us? Why is that important to understand? Because when you are corrected, you know it's going to be perfect even if it doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good. It says it's going to be profitable to you. We also have to understand when you and I get in a mindset that says, I know how they should be corrected, God. Let me tell you how they should be corrected and punished and, and, and pain and suffering through what they put me through. You, can't, you and I can't think that way. It's ungodly. Because it will be imperfect. Let God perfectly deal with the person. It's divine chastening. He knows what's best for that person. He loves that person more than you. Matter of fact, most people have to check their hearts because they don't love people. If you want punishment upon someone, that's not love. That's not love. You want God to correct them according to his perfect ways. Why? Because it will be profitable. Human fathers, even though they just had best intentions, could not correct a child as perfect as God can. Verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And this is in very important verses right here to kind of close this part of the, the letter here. Because if it does not hurt, if the correction doesn't hurt, if it doesn't pressure us through trials and in chastening, then those trials and chastening does not serve the purpose that it's intended. Why is that important? Some people will say, hmm, now Johnny, go to your room. 
And Johnny runs off the room. <laughs> oh, my daddy's so funny. Oh, you know, he runs in the room and plays like nothing happened. Did your correction on his little behind really have an effect of change in attitude and attitude and what he's supposed to do or not do? No, he just thought it was just a funny little thing. The trial, the tr chasing is to correct and it should bring pressure. It should bring some pain in regards to change. Why is that important? Because during the chastening process, it isn't pleasant. It should not be pleasant. When you're convicted hearing the word of God, it shouldn't be pleasant. Because you're being convicted of sin in your life. It isn't joyous. You shouldn't rejoice in the fact that you're being corrected and changed by a divine God's touching of your life. But what is great is the fruit or the results from the chastening. That is joyful. And here's the key word. Why you, a father needs to chasten a child to correct him. So that the relief of the guilt can take place in that child's life. People's lives are filled with guilt and shame. If there has been no correction, then there's been no release of guilt and shame, and you are suffering. Your children are suffering if you have not corrected your children properly. They're filled with guilt and shame. And it will destroy your child. If God did not correct us and chasten us where it hurt, we will be filled with guilt and shame of our sin. The writers makes it very clear how beautiful it is when it's done in a godly way. Because as a child, if you disobey my dad and, and I did what he told, didn't do what he told me to do, and I got caught and now I've been chastened and corrected. I'm no longer guilty. I've been reconciled in the relationship. When a child has gone rogue, that child is not to be into with the family. And they're sitting having a monopoly game and everything's going well. And you go off and angry and flip the board and you're getting... A, you don't get to play monopoly anymore. You're going to your room and you're going to get chastened and you're going to get the spoon. And if you don't do that, then that child never gets to come back into the game of monopoly with the family. There's no correction of that behavior. That's not healthy for a child. Are you with me? It must be dealt with and dealt with quickly and don't let it string out over days. It must be dealt with. And once it's dealt with, then the correction, the guilt is lifted and the child is able to come back into the family game. That's what happens around here. 
you're in guilt and shame and you're, con- you're, not getting, you're being convicted and you don't like the conviction every time you come on Sunday. You just want to feel good. And there's no con- you're just constantly being convicted and you're constantly reminded that you're playing in sin as you live your life every, throughout the week. And what happens is unless you're corrected and you receive what, you're, and stop despising what God is trying to do in your life and you receive it and repent of it and confess it to God and just, just lay it out and just trust that he's for given you go to Jesus you will leave you'll leave and you know what people do today they just go find a church who never teaches the word of God so they're never convicted hello that's exactly what happens in 10 years almost 11 years up here I've watched families people men young women they can't handle the word of God and the truth and they go find some place, and eventually those people stop going to church altogether. God wants to do a work, and he chastens us through the reading of the word of God. He corrects us and encourages us at the same time. Because you can ask for forgiveness and have be encouraged because you know without a question you've been forgiven. And that you're a child of God. And that God knows what's best in your life. And he wants to work in your life and wants you to grow and mature and stop being immature. You've got to grow. You've got to grow. But God is good. He wants to train us up. He wants us to, as we see at the end here, be trained by it. He wants, to, it's, it, that word in the Greek is a term of athletics. You're going to be in athletics. You're going to expect sometimes agony, pain, <laughs> pressure from stretching and working out and the muscles are going to be sore and you're going to be not wanting and feel like running and you're not going to feel like lifting weights. You're not going to feel like going into the game and you're not going to feel like you can stand anymore. But you've got to go through that training process to mature and to grow to achieve the race that God has set before you. And so many people understand that. But now I need you to apply that to your spiritual walk. Keep showing up regardless of how you feel. And let God do a work in you, my brothers and sisters. And you will mature. And you'll get rid of the past that seems to destroy you. And the guilt will be lifted. And you'll be able to breathe. And enjoy your walk and your relationship with your Lord. Because he's coming back for us soon. Amen? This is the divine This is the result of divine chastening. Do not despise it. Embrace it.